And over the last three weeks, we've been, as I said before the service, just really digging into what did it mean for God to come to live with us? How did that look? What sort of uh, life did Jesus have? And we're going to continue that today. Um, before we get started, as I see a number of guests with us, a reminder about the colored insert in the service folder. If you'd be able to take that out at this point and to use that, I think that that would be a, a blessing to you. I, I hope so. Um, just a couple days ago on, on Friday night, we, our family, did not have a basketball game or anything else planned since like October. So it was kind of nice not to have anything going on. And uh, we decided after supper uh, to all pile into the car to put some Christmas music on in the car and to go look at lights in the south metro of the Twin Cities. Now, before you begin thinking like, wow, what a wonderful family that is and how idyllic all of that sounds, let me just say it got better after I threatened to take away Christmas gifts if they didn't stop complaining. So, and then, and then things got better. So, pastor's family, very much like your family, we, we try our best to make memories. And, and actually, even after that rough start, um, we did, I think, make a, a memory. We, we visited a, a home um, in Apple Valley that some of you have gone to, some of you uh, have seen, where uh, you turn on a radio station in your car and there's music playing and then the, the lights on the house uh, do a you know, dance, so to speak, uh, along with the music. Maybe some of you have seen something like that on YouTube. This is the first time I've seen one in person. Um, and then uh, we visited two other places. One of them was a, a home um, on uh, Highway 3 in Invergrove Heights. And this particular home, uh, so, you know, blew me out of the water in the sense of the amount of lights that I, I took a picture of it. Here's the, uh, the left side of the house. I think this was the secular side because the, the churches and the manger scene and everything was on the right side of the house, and I couldn't get it all in on one picture. Um, Unbeknownst to us, this particular home advertised, you know, on the internet um, is one that you just don't drive by and look at the lights. They actually, there's a little path woven through all of the stuff and they encourage you to get out and to walk through all of the lights. There's different displays, as you might expect, of Santa and Mrs. Claus and the elves and, and uh um, Frosty and Rudolph and the Grinch and even I think they had a Barbie and Ken Christmas display and the Frozen display, uh, Olaf and Elsa. Um, there's a place to sit down to have your picture taken. And as I'm walking through this path with uh, my eyes and ears certainly, most definitely, on full sensory overload... My thought, and if any of you know me, you're going to laugh at this. My thought was this. Who in all the world has the time to put all of this stuff together during the middle of the Christmas season? This is craziness. Um, I mean, I'm that night going looking at Christmas lights, and part of the thing I'm trying to do is to sort of, you know, put in a box in my mind, all the stuff that I need to get done before uh, December 25th, and yet someone has the time to do all of this, and I thought, you know, people just are really busy during the Christmas season, and I guess it depends 
what you decide to use your time for. As I was thinking about that experience, it made me think of an experience I had at Christmas that was exactly the opposite. It was Christmas my sixth grade year, and we uh, had moved from Texas to Wisconsin that particular uh, Christmas season, just before Christmas. And if any of you have ever moved, or especially moved across the country, you know all that goes into it, how crazy it is, all the stuff that you need to get done, how hard and, and challenging and difficult and how much work it takes to get settled. And so my mom that year, not because she was crabby, but just because she was busy, we all were, made an executive decision. There are going to be no Christmas decorations this year. You know, if you make something at school and bring it home, we'll put it up. But we're not going to dig through all those boxes to get all the Christmas stuff out, okay? Except for one little Christmas thing we came across uh, accidentally in the boxes. It was this little two-foot ceramic Christmas tree. Um, in fact, I did a little Google search, and this isn't the picture of the exact Christmas tree, but it is the exact model. You can still buy it on eBay It's one of these things, about two feet tall. In order to make it look bigger, we put it on a table, put the table in front of the big window in the front of our house, Christmas gifts under the table. And that was it. And, you know, we're a brand new family in a brand new town. My dad's a pastor. They're probably wondering, you know, what is going on with this family? They have just, just this little ceramic Christmas tree. And I will tell you, This is one of the most memorable Christmases I've ever had. And I think part of it has to do with that we were really able as a family to focus on the main things instead of on all the other stuff. Now, I I really want to be clear about what my point is as we move forward here. My point is not that you have to go home and take all the Christmas lights off of your house. My point is not that you got to take down your Christmas tree and buy this ceramic Christmas tree on eBay and simplify your Christmas in that sense. My point is not that you have to cancel all of your Christmas parties and all of your Christmas gatherings. My point is not that you can't have you know, special outfits for the kids or make things nice on Christmas Eve. That's none of my point. Here is my point. My point is that we should minimize anything in our Christmas season that is in danger of taking the focus off the main thing. And I don't know what that is for you. That's why I'm not telling you to take the lights off or to not put them up in the first place. But my main point is that we need to minimize the things that take the focus off the main thing. That's, that's our first fill-in today, um, kind of. A Christmas not focused on the main thing will always disappoint. You know, I think this is coming at a very good time for many of you, maybe all of us, because you've got a list of things, maybe, that you need to get done before December 25th. And you have a picture in your brain, in your mind, about how things are going to go. And this is how, in case you're wondering, how a perfect Christmas is going to go. Here's how the food's going to taste, and here's how the kids are going to look, and here's how uh, the spouse is going to react to the Christmas gift that I bought him or her, and all that stuff. 
And I guarantee you, if your fulfillment and happiness at Christmas is centered on anything, and that includes family, anything but the main thing, you're going to be disappointed. It's just a fact. You still might have a great Christmas, but it won't be what you're making it out to be because families that we want to be with, they get crabby or they don't act the way you wish they did and food doesn't turn out perfectly and all the hubbub we have over months for the day coming up in just a few days, the amount of time we spend waiting for it, that event externally could never live up to what we in 21st century America make it out to be. A Christmas not focused on the main thing will always disappoint. Now, against that backdrop of crazy Christmas in 21st century America, we have Jesus. And over the last weeks of this series, as I've mentioned, we've taken a look at who Jesus was in the sense that he was both God and he was also man in a very unique, miraculous way. He wasn't a man who was so good that he grew up to be like a God. No, he was by nature God. And yet he chose to become a a humble human, a human being. And he was our perfect Savior as being both God and man. Last week we looked at why he needed to be both God and man. That in order to die in our place, he needed to be human because God doesn't die. In order to be the perfect sacrifice we needed, he needed to be God because all humans are sinful, we're conceived sinful. So God was the perfect Savior. Jesus was the perfect Savior that we needed. Today, we're not going to look at why he needed to be both, but instead we're going to look at what did his life look like here on this earth? And what does his focus have to say, or how does it direct our focus in these days leading up to Christmas? So we're going to go to an event at the very end of Jesus' life. Um, it's, it's the day before Jesus would die. It's a Thursday. Many of you know that day as Monday Thursday. And there's a number of things that happened the day before Jesus died. Um, one of the things was that Jesus and his 12 disciples were all gathered in a room in Jerusalem to celebrate a special meal called the Passover. While they were eating the Passover, though, Jesus began a new meal that we still celebrate today. In fact, we are celebrating it today, the Lord's Supper, communion. This was the same night that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, that Judas Iscariot betrayed him with a kiss. Does any of this ring any bells, right? That within the next 12 hours, Jesus would find himself nailed to a cross and would die. Now, before any of that happened, though, there was something else quite familiar that happened in that upper room. Before the Passover was started, before the Lord's Supper was instituted, something else happened in that room. Now, understand what happened. Let me talk a little bit about traveling, okay? So today, I'm guessing all of you came in some sort of car, okay? That's how we travel today. Car, you don't really have to walk anywhere. 
um, except from your door inside here. Back 2,000 years ago, obviously, there weren't cars, so the main way people walked, people got around is by walking. And uh, they, they didn't have paved roads, so these roads that they walked on were quite dusty and dirty. And you add to the fact that animals use these same roads, and if anyone's been to a parade or a circus or lived on a farm, you know what animals do, right? And, and so these roads were filthy dirty. And so one of the customs that they had in homes was that there would be near the front door uh, a bowl or a large bowl, sometimes uh, we call it a basin, of water and a towel or a rag. And, And the custom would be that when you came into a house that a servant would wash your feet off. Now, feet are gross the way it is. Men's feet are even grosser than normal feet, and feet back 2,000 years ago, walking on this, you know, animal-infested, dirty roads would be even grosser than that, okay? And so the job of washing feet was reserved for the lowliest of servants. This was not a job that servants would aspire to have. It was given to the lowest one. Now, on this particular night, Either this room didn't have any servants or Jesus had told them that they could be dismissed, but no one's feet were washed. And so Jesus and the disciples are around the table for the Passover. They all have dirty feet. None of the disciples have thought about a very obvious thing. Why don't I get up and wash everyone's feet, okay? Didn't occur to anyone. And so many of you know what happened next, but let me read it from John chapter 13, verse 4. So Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, a large bowl, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I've been trying all week to figure out a way to scratch the depths of what happened in this moment. And I have been unable to come up with a way that truly hits the emotion and the amazing love that was shown in this act. I thought about this, you know, what if it was like your favorite athlete or maybe the president of the United States comes over to your house and you're not willing to wash the toilets and so the president decides to wash the toilets for you because you're not willing to do it. And, you know, it, that example limps. I, I don't know how to get this across, but here's what I want you to know. <laughs> that the God of the universe comes to this earth And there's these dirty, stinky feet, stinky with you-know-what, and Jesus, God's Son, gets down on his knees and washes everyone's dirty feet. I cannot think of an example of servitude, servanthood greater, maybe except for the cross, (laughs) than the Son of God coming to this earth and deciding to wash feet. 
Peter was uncomfortable. Look at what we see in verse 6. Jesus came to Simon Peter, one of the 12, most of you know that, who said to Jesus, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Implied, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Uh, Jesus washing of feet was symbolic of a greater purpose that Jesus had is, is basically what he's saying there. We're going to talk about that in a second. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, unless I serve you, unless I do this thing for you and something else, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. When someone famous comes to town, you roll out the red carpet for him. The Son of God came to this earth in our next fill-in. God with us was willing to wash dirty feet. Now, I think this truth becomes even more amazing when you realize all the stuff that was going on in Jesus' life and heart at that time. Um, how many of you get really gracious when you're stressed? Like, most of us know how to look that way when we go out of the house. But I have very rare that you run into someone who's just really gracious and giving when they're really, really stressed. Do you understand the stress that Jesus was under in this moment? Imagine how stressed you'd be if you knew that within 24 hours you would die in the most painful way ever invented. And Jesus knew it. In fact, the stress that night was so great on him that when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed to his heavenly Father, remember how the stress showed itself? His sweat was like drops of blood because all of this, this, this payment he'd have to make weighed so heavily on him. And yet, Jesus served by washing feet. And what does all this have to do with Christmas? What does this all have to do with God with us? Do you realize, do you recognize that God, Jesus, entire life was this? Jesus humbled himself not just by coming human being. That was humbling enough. But he became a human who actually was on the low end of the social totem pole. His birth, the Son of God, was more humble than any of yours. I don't know of any of you who were born in a barn. My mom used to say that my room looks like a barn or is dirty like a barn, but I didn't have to be born there. Jesus did. Jesus came from humble parents who had almost nothing. That's why they were in a stable, in a barn, to have him from a town that was known for nothing. In fact, when Jesus started to show his popularity, people's reaction was, where's this guy from? He's not from Jerusalem. What good thing can come from Nazareth? <laughs> I.e., nothing can come from, good can come from Nazareth. And then other people started, as they listened to Jesus talk, would say, whose son is he? Isn't this the carpenter's son? 
There's nothing special about him. Jesus' entire life, God with us, was about serving others. Remember this account in the Gospels when Jesus was just dead tired from serving people all day. He was healing them, he was teaching them, he was preaching to them. And so the disciples are like, Jesus, wait, I got an idea. Let's get on this boat. Let's go across the Sea of Galilee where we can have a little time for R&R. So they get in the boat, they go across the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd was faster than them in the boat, and they met them on the other side. Now, if, you, if I were Jesus, I'd be like, all right, anchors away. I'm just going to stay in the boat for a while. Jesus gets out of the boat, dead tired from serving, and he spends the rest of the day serving. The Bible says he had compassion on the people. He, in a way, washed feet all day. Jesus' entire life, he had a towel in his hand, the Son of God, serving. Why? He was totally honed in on the main focus of his life, which was to be our Lord and Savior. And so as Jesus comments on his own purpose, we see these familiar words in Mark 10. The Son of Man did not come to be served, although he deserved it. It's God with us! (laughs) But he came to serve and ultimately to give his life as a ransom for many. Fill in number three. Jesus' entire life was focused on the main thing. What was that? God's purpose for him. And for Jesus, it was to be our Savior. His entire life was focused on the main thing. Now, he did other things. He laughed at the disciples. I I don't think Jesus was serious all the time. He enjoyed himself. But where was his focus? On the main thing. It's five days before Christmas. Where's your focus? Where was your focus this morning when you came here? Does it need to be tweaked? Does it need to be changed? I think the life of a human being, a Christian, is one of continual tweaking and modifying a focus. It's like in in one moment, we're like, I'm totally focused on the most important things in life, right? We recommit ourselves. And then an ad comes on TV or the internet, and our focus is totally somewhere else. Or, Or maybe it's a job offer, or maybe it's a Whatever it is, something else pops into our brain. We so easily get distracted. Do you know that the main thing that is that Jesus is your Lord and Savior is the only thing that truly lasts? That's the only part of Christmas that will truly bring peace and joy. It's the only part of your life that is going to bring what you're looking for. 
I just uh, recently read uh, part of a book by a Christian pastor named James Dobson. Some of you have, have heard of him. And he wrote about this whole scenario of, of being sort of really glued towards earthly things. And he wrote about how in college, one of his main goals as a tennis player was to get his name on a trophy that would be permanently in the trophy case by winning his college's tennis tournament. And so that was his goal. That's what he was going after. That was his focus. And by the end of his four years of college and playing tennis in college, he actually not only had his name on one of those trophies, he had won it twice and had his name on two trophies that would be permanently displayed in the trophy case. And he wrote about how a number of years later, a couple of decades later, he uh, received a box in the mail from a friend, and the note inside said this, Jim, James Dobson, Jim, I found this in the garbage during school remodeling. Thought you might like to have it. And inside the box was not just one trophy, but two permanent trophies that were meant to be permanently displayed in the trophy case forever. What's your tennis trophy that you're chasing after right now? What's your tennis trophy this Christmas? Is it okay to have goals? for winning the tennis tournament? Yeah, absolutely. Is it okay to aspire to good things in life, to accomplish things? Absolutely. But where we get distracted is when the tennis trophy becomes the main thing. When our happiness and joy and sense of purpose and fulfillment and being and our sense of Christmas is wrapped around those things instead of the main thing. And against that backdrop, we have the perfect example of Jesus who more than anyone had the right to put his focus on whatever he wanted but he chose to put his focus on you and me. And the main thing for him was doing his father's will. And so no one was going to wash feet, and he did. No one else would be able to save the world, and he did. And at the very end of this section, he has a little direction for us. After he washed all those feet, he went back down, sat down, and he said, I've set you an example right now. Now you should do, just as I've done for you. Be a servant. Focus on the main thing. That is Christ. That is our Heavenly Father. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master. As great as the things are that we might be able to accomplish, and I hope you accomplish great things in life, nothing compares to him, and no servant is greater than his master. And so here is my encouragement for you this Christmas. It's our last fill-in. Eliminate the details this Christmas that take the focus off the main thing. 
I'm not going to give you a list because I don't know what it is for you. But if you feel this thing that is taking or sapping your joy out of Christmas, either get rid of it or minimize it. Eliminate the extras. They're going to take the focus off the main thing. Maybe all you need is a two-foot ceramic Christmas tree, all right, in front of the window. Call it good. If it's too late for that, you've got five days. If you're feeling like your home's focus has just been stress of trying to get stuff done and Jesus has been lost, you've got five days. Fix it. If church is the only place that you hear the Christmas story this Christmas and not at home, change it. You've got five days. Because if the main thing is only heard here, it ain't the main thing. As I was uh, preparing this week, I came across the example, an example, of uh, a girl who seemed to have the, the best thing as the main thing. And she just happens to be uh, my niece, uh, my brother's daughter. And my brother posted a, a letter that she wrote um, on Facebook, and I have a picture of it here. You can't read that, but uh, so I'm going to read what the letter says. Uh, I was amazed by her focus. So Bella wrote this, Dear Santa, I left this snack for you. I hope you enjoy it. It is the best of the best, best, best donut from Donut Vault. She's obviously her father's daughter because her father loves Donut Vault in Chicago. These donuts are awesome, so awesome. Yes, I hope you enjoy it, your friend Bella. But the P.S. is where it gets good. P.S. Everybody's sinful. Nobody's perfect. Then how do you, or why do you give out presents? You know, if you're good, do you get presents? If you should give presents to someone, you should give them to Jesus. If you know who Jesus is, then sign this form. And then there's two little boxes at the bottom. Yes, I know Jesus. And the other box says, no, I don't know Jesus. <laughs> Nothing like trying to convert Santa. <laughs> now that's a girl whose focus is where it needs to be. Where's your focus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together to, to refocus, if needed, our hearts, not just for Christmas, but for our lives. And Lord, this is a never-ending battle. We'll never get it perfectly right and fixed. But with your help, we're forgiven for the times that we get skewed and we receive your strength to focus better. Lord, in these next five days, I just ask you to, to refocus our hearts on the things that are most important this Christmas and to be refreshed in the joy and peace that comes through your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray and also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.